Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Rochester Groovecast podcast, your favorite podcast source for live, local, regional music interviews and events from Rochester, New York, and the surrounding area. Uh, My name is Ben. I am your host, and I am here today with Colin Jones. Very excited to have Colin on the Zoom call. How are we doing today, Colin? Doing good. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Um. Colin is the mastermind behind that track, Stereo Nest. He's also a main man in Haywa, along with uh, Ben Chobert and Marco Ceriglio, and uh, also Ocular Panther. That's another band that's been in the Rochester scene forever now. Um, That song was Code Citizen by Stereo Nest. Tell me a little bit about what we heard there, Colin. That's a little bit different than some of the stuff I've heard you do as Stereo Nest. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, well, actually, the that's a brand new song. I've never released it or showed that to anyone. <laughs> so there's that whole thing. Um, but uh, yeah, it's something that I, I've i really been like experimenting with a lot of different sounds and like adding in like vocals and just a lot of different trying to like branch out a bit because yeah, for, you know, for a while, Stereo Ness has been pretty much instrumental. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I kind of wanted to like put, put a different spin on it. Um, do some like different like synthy vocal stuff and like vocoder so a lot of the new stuff has a lot of that sort of thing it's fun that's cool i I didn't know that was literally completely unreleased so um, you guys you guys got to hear it here first um i i like the the change in style with the the vocals added to it with a little bit of effects do you do you have a favorite effects pedal or something that really makes your sound come together at stereo nest um not Really, I think the main thing I've been messing around with is like is an Ableton. Um, I've created like a couple like synthy stuff for vocals. Um, I don't really have like a favorite one. It's all different and always changing and stuff. But um, uh, at this point, I've pretty I've come up with a few uh, effects and sounds that I created from scratch, basically from the ground up, using different like programs and stuff that I I like to use. You know, so like. At, a lot of the new stuff, which people haven't really heard yet, like you're, you're going to hear like a lot of different voices, basically. Hmm. And not really my voice, but like, you know, different kind of like vocoder things and like different effects like that. I'm curious because um, I'm definitely amateur when it comes to this kind of thing. When you're saying you're making these sounds from scratch, how how from scratch is it? Are there certain <laughs> elements that come together? Do you have a, like, is there a, MIDI sound already there? Or are you literally making everything from its inception? That's a good question. Um, so yeah, I mean, basically, I'm, I'm not like, as far as from scratch can be, like, I'm obviously not like writing programs or like designing anything like that. But I'm using like a bunch of different plugins, like in combination with each other and kind of just experimenting. At this point, I've, you know, I've just, it's really just playing around and tweaking different plugins and stuff in Ableton until together they all sound like a you know like a something interesting i guess so Mm -hmm. that's all it is (laughs) what's that look like i mean you've been doing it long enough that you obviously uh have a gist of where to go but what's that look like when you're discovering new sounds do you have it in your head at first and you're like i'm gonna replicate this or are you playing with it until you're like wow uh, i just found something i think largely what I do in general is experiment until something just kind of clicks in my ear. 
And I mean, like, a, a lot of times I have, like, a vague idea, like, oh, I want to add, like, a vocal or this or something. But as far as, like, you know, it's not, it's, it's kind of like a rough sketch in my mind. And then as I'm tweaking things, I just kind of know at a certain point, like, when it locks into place and it, you know, sits in the mix or just, like, sounds good to me and what I, my ear would like to hear. That's all it is. And, yeah, but, um, but yeah, I mean, so I'd say that's, like, 80% of it. That's awesome. And with Stereo Nest, primarily, you're, you're talking 100% live and primarily improvised music as well, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, at a Stereo Nest show, should I expect to hear full songs the way I, similar to how I'd hear them on the album? Or how far do you take that improvisation? Um, well, I guess it kind of depends on the show, but um, normally you will hear songs like, so I, I would say it's about 80% improv and like 20% I'll like kind of hit certain songs and stuff. So, you know, if you listen to like my albums and stuff and you get familiar with a song that you like, you will be able to hear it. There's a chance that you would go to a show and hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, in, in order to not get too monotonous, I try and really do a lot of like improvisation and make it like really fresh and in the moment. But you know, I also like to play the tracks that I've made because I think it's important to, you know, give people at certain points something they're familiar with and can kind of, you know, like recognize, or if they want to hear a certain song, like there's a chance that they could actually go see it live. So try and do mix it up and you know, kind of do both. Yeah, that's great. And obviously with improv, improvising live, you always have that element where you don't know what's coming. No one knows what's coming. And I'm sure, you know, with all the improvisation you do in the, you know, your spacier, jammier, rockier band, Heywa, you know, someone goes in one direction, you guys kind of mold with that. I'm right, curious yeah. with Stereo Nest, since you're the only guy up there, has there ever been any horror situations where something falls apart and you don't know what to do? And on the other end, has there ever been any situations where you're playing this for the first time live and the exact opposite happens. Like something perfect comes out and you're like, shoot, how do I replicate that? Have you had any, uh, either or any nose dives or any aha moments, you know? Definitely both. Um, definitely a handful of nose dives too. And that's, that's pretty much how I, you know, I hash things out. Like I, I'm not really like a very technological guy. I just kind of have like this idea of things I want to do. So from the beginning, it was kind of just like trial and error. It still is trial and error, but, you know, I, I started doing stereo and stuff in like 2014. So at this point, in, as far as like the, the gear and everything, like I've hashed it out pretty well and I'm pretty comfortable with it now. But for a while, I was just, I didn't really know what I was even doing. I was just putting different things together and then immediately trying them out live. Um, and when you do stuff like that, there you, you're set up to fail a lot. But I think the important thing is to just keep pushing through because like, like you said, on the contrary, there's always these moments where something is happening that's beyond me. Like I, I don't even really feel like I should take credit for some of the stuff that happens. Like I'm kind of directing things and, and stuff, but um, there's, there's things that completely beyond me that happen. And that's why I love doing it. Honestly, that, that just blows my mind, especially like some of this equipment and like the gear. And uh, like you, like you were saying, okay, so if you play in a band, you kind of feed off each other, which is fun, you know, and it directs you. Um, and you would kind of think it's the same or, or different being solo. Uh, and it is different, but it's the same in the fact that the technology guides you in a way 
that another band member might. You know, like things just, you know, as I'm tweaking knobs and stuff, the sounds that come out sometimes are completely unexplainable. Like I don't, I can't, I could, I could have never really thought that any of that would happen. So that's the, that's the aha moment. That's the stuff that I like, and that's why I love doing it for stuff like that. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I've had some really bad experiences, uh, just completely failing in front of rooms of people. <laughs> like uh, I had a show in uh, Erie, Pennsylvania at King's Rook Club. I was opening for Jim Cotta, and it was like in their, they have like a huge area downstairs. Like it holds probably four or 500 people. And um, so it was Jim Cotta when they were around, and so it was completely packed. Um, mm-hmm. And I ended up, it was kind of one of those things where I had, I was still trying to figure out my, my rig and like the technology. So I, you know, succeeded one time and I thought, okay, I, I did it. So that means I can do it every time, which is not true because there's so many variables and situations, you know, playing live and stuff. Um, but anyway, I, uh, <laughs> I went on stage in about 15 minutes into my set, my, the music completely cut out and there was just like a high ringing noise that basically came through the speaker and assaulted the audience. <laughs> it was just like an ear piercing sound. I still don't really know what happened. Um, but anyway, so that was a pretty embarrassing moment. But what I did is at that point I had a computer and it was synced up to like hardware, like synths and like, you know, actual like, like hardware machines. And um, so whatever happened was the computer you know, something digital, like glitched out or something. So I figured out, okay, I can just get rid of the computer and then I can just, I rewired uh, like on the fly all the hardware together and uh, I was able to finish the show and I, I, it was completely improv. At that point I was playing some songs, you know, tracks off my computer and tweaking them and doing, you know, improvising in between. But I did a full set of improv that night and that's, basically when I figured out that that's what I should just do. Like, so I don't have a computer at all now. I mean, like, you know, some of these things act as like a computer, but Mm -hmm. I took the computer out of my rig. It's all hardware now because that's something where something fails, you can rewire it and finish the show. Whereas if, you know, if you're, if you're dependent on your laptop and your laptop fails, it's over. Right. There's no way to recover from it. So, so yeah. So, I mean, it was a very, that was a very eye-opening experience in many ways, <laughs> but you know, stuff like that happens all the time, just especially in the beginning where I just was failing miserably technologically in front of people. No, oh, it sounds like a huge, huge leap in your music career to be able to figure that out on the spot and then harness it to do it properly in a, a better way going forward. Um, yeah. You, you've been a musician in Rochester just about as long as I can remember. So I know I, I like to jump around and ask random questions, but to kind of keep it crisp and clear, let's talk a little bit like a very bird's eye view chronology of everything. Because I know personally the first time I saw you, I'm trying to remember, I think it was Mobius Trip. Oh my but gosh. it was some some <laughs> yeah. time ago with Dave Brooks, and um, yep, yep. <laughs> so uh, you know, without getting into every little detail, what's kind of the order of things of the bands you've played with, and you know, the bands you're currently in? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I guess the overall spectrum would be in middle school. I think I was eighth or seventh or eighth grade talent show. 
I formed a band called the U.S. Kings, <laughs> and I was just the lead singer of that band, and our first show was, like, at the talent show. We played, like, Sweet Child of Mine or something, some Guns N' Roses. Um, so that was in seventh grade, and that's that's kind of how I got into the whole thing was singing, because I had always done, like, musical theater and stuff when I was a kid, and that's something I knew how to do. I always had interest in other music, but, you know, at that point, I was like, well, I can sing, so I guess I'll sing in this band. Um so that's kind of how everything started. And then from there, uh, that was more of like a blues rock stuff. And I started getting into the more like jammy stuff. And so I was like, you know, I'm, I want to make like a, a jam band. <laughs> and then that's where Moby's Trip comes into play. Because I was always a huge fan of the Disco Biscuits and stuff. And still am. I love the Disco Biscuits. And uh, that was a huge influence on me and Dave Brooks. And uh, and actually, Sean Rotolo was in that band too. Another local hmm. musician who plays with everybody. In case you don't know, but um, yeah, he was, that's how I met him, and huh. I, I think I was like 15, and I actually put out a Craigslist ad, and that's how I met Sean. So that's kind of cool. Um, you, it's very surprising how much Craigslist has played a role in all this, because that's actually how I met Ben Chilbert too, and formed Haywa. <laughs> so, um, but actually, in that case, Ben had put a, out a post, and I was, I, I'd gone to Berkeley, and I got on this like tour. Um, that basically failed. <laughs> it was supposed to be like a three month long, like cross country tour. And after like a month, like kind of, I played like a bunch of stuff in like Florida and down South, uh, Georgia and stuff. It ended up just like tanking and, uh, they couldn't pay anyone and the whole thing disbanded. Um, but anyway, so I took a train up to my brother lived in New York city at the time, took a train up there, stayed with him for a couple weeks, tr- trying to just figure out what to do. Um, but as I was on the train coming home, I'm looking at Craigslist. I see this ad that that Ben put out and he just used all the right words. And I was like, you know what? I think that I would click with this guy. So I, I called him on the train and basically he was like, yeah, tomorrow come by and jam. The very next day I met Ben and we formed Haywa. And uh, I'd also played in a band uh, called Pia Mater, which was like the, the end of like high school. And um, that was with Jason Gilly. And that turned into Ocular Panther. And both of those things happened at the same time, which is really weird. So I moved back. Uh, Gilly hit me up. He was like, let's make a new band. I was like, all right. And then I met Ben and uh, Riley DeCera, our first drummer. And they were like, let's make a band. So I was like, all right. So all of a sudden, these two things started up. Um, and then I actually auditioned for uh, Big Eye Fish, which is the Dave Matthews tribute band. And they accepted me into their thing, too. So all of a sudden, I was in three bands all at the same time, which was awesome, but very overwhelming for a long time. Um, and But yeah, I mean, those, I'm not in Big Eye Fish anymore, fill in sometimes, but Haywa and Ocular Panther, still to this day, we are actively writing, playing shows and stuff. So, and that's, that was about nine years ago that they both formed at the same time. And yeah, wow. so here we are now. <laughs> That's incredible, man. And of course, you've recorded countless albums with every one of your projects. So it's it's definitely been a crazy trip. I mean, how many has it, has it been? I'm not trying to test you, but uh, in terms of all the albums you've put out with Haywa, Ocular Panther, Stereo Nest. Well, I think I, I have somewhere around like 22 albums out. And that's, that's between like, because like, yeah, obviously Haywa, 
Ocular Panther, Stereo Ness, and then I also have like solo albums under Colin Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, so between all of those, there's something like 20, 22, 23 albums or something, which by the way, you can find at galaxydiamond.net. <laughs> if anyone wants to see the entire collection together, galaxydiamond.net is where you can find it all just listed in one place. See all the artwork, and then if you, you see a piece of artwork you think is interesting, you click it and it takes you to the album, basically. So. Galaxydiamond.net. And, yeah, and to, <laughs> to clear up for uh, anyone who might not know, of course, of course, for Stereo Nest, you're doing all the sounds, you're doing all the loops, you're doing everything. Uh, mm-hmm. But your primary instrument in all these bands is guitar, right? Yeah. Yep. And uh, we hadn't brought it up. You have the solo project where that's just you on stage playing guitar and looping. It's kind of like Stereo Nest, but a lot less of the crazy effects. To talk a little right. bit about that. Yeah, it's it's it's, a, it's like a way more stripped down sort of thing, and that's why I kind of file them under two different uh, areas. I call them, you know, Stereo Ness is pretty much my solo electronic project, whereas me using my own name, Colin Jones, is just like a kind of singer songwriter stuff, completely acoustic. Um, I'll use like a loop pedal so I can kind of, you know, play and like jam with myself, but. Um, yeah, that's the main difference. That's that's like entirely more like singer songwriter oriented, like just you know very like lyrical stuff and me just singing. Whereas like with Stereo Nest, you'll just get a uh, lot more production and you don't hear my voice. Like you might hear, like I said earlier, like vocoder, like you know something with like an effect on it, but it's not me. <laughs> the main goal of uh, Stereo Nest is to kind of create something that's beside me. You know, like I want it to seem like it's kind of a different entity. So what, um, what entity are we creating here? Are you imagining colors, <laughs> a creature of some sort, a soundscape of some kind? Kind of all of the above. I think, <laughs> I, I, I think the main thing though is, uh, like, as I was saying before about how, like, I have all these different voices I've created, like with effects and stuff. I kind of, they're all different, uh, they're all different voices, but I kind of imagine them coming from the same place. And, <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of weird uh, to put in the words, but I kind of envision like some sort of creature that is all of these things. Like it's always kind of transforming. So I kind of, I try and keep it in this, this realm of sound that I'm envisioning and seeing and stuff, but I, and it's, it's always, it's always kind of changing within it, but I, the thing the way I see it, it is its own entity. It's just like a transformational sort of something psychedelic and like from your dreams. There's like some sort of strange, bizarre creature that's just always changing. Yeah, it's there's, it's not, always, the words. <laughs> there's not always words for something, especially uh, something artistic like that. Uh, when did you realize that you were an artist per se? that you wanted to create something abstract and different, something beyond three times three equals nine, something that is totally <laughs> undefined. Uh, did you have it when you were a young kid or did something influence you to kind of go in that direction? Um, I've, since I can remember, I've always been drawing, doing visual art, which is something I've, I really love to do. And I actually haven't been doing as much as I hoped because I've been so involved with music, but I've always been drawing, creating visual art. And I honestly, since I can remember, I've always just wanted to create and just get some, this thing out of me. 
<laughs> so, you know, that's why I did like musical theater and stuff when I was a kid. Like I always had this urge to just make stuff and do, <laughs> you know, express myself. Um, so I don't even know when that really started, but I've, you know, I've always had that urge and I actually planned on going to college for visual art until very last minute. I somehow got into Berkeley College of Music, which I didn't think was going to happen. It kind of blew my, it still blows my mind. I don't know how the hell I, that even happened, but awesome. I was like, oh shit. Okay. Well, I guess I should do that. Cause that's a pretty cool opportunity. And once I started really diving into music and learning about it, then it was pretty much my, my main focus. And that's, you know, so which, which is cool and I love it, but like some of the visual stuff, I still do it, but it's kind of gone to the side a little bit because I've been, you know, there's only so much time in the day, but mm-hmm. I hope to do more. How was your experience at Berkeley? I have a few things I'd like to ask you that are rambling <laughs> in my head right now. Um, but to start off, I mean, going to Berkeley, obviously a very competitive music school. What was your experience there and how do you feel it prepared you for leaving Berkeley, do you think it's a necessary thing to do? Do you think the hands-on performing is more important? Um, what's your overall, ex- you know, experience and uh, opinion on going to school for music? Um, I I think hands-on performing and just doing what you want to do and just working at it all the time is far more important. Honestly, <laughs> I've, I've learned so much more from just diving in and just trying to do stuff than I ever had from school. That's just my own experience. Um, but that's not to say it's not valuable. There was a lot of stuff that I learned at Berkeley, like music theory and stuff like that, that I, I, I value, you know, so I, I really learned a lot of cool stuff. Um, I don't think it's a hundred percent necessary, but it's not useless. It's definitely valuable for what it is. Now, I only went there for three semesters and I feel like that's all I really needed personally. And I think, I mean, everyone's different, but I think generally speaking, you just got to get out and do it. <laughs> you just got to go and do mm-hmm. it. Yeah. But it was it's, cool. I mean, I enjoyed it. I had fun. I met a lot of cool people and stuff. So it was worth it. Yeah. I mean, as long as the path takes you to where you're trying to go, then you, you did all right. And um, but, Galaxy Diamond Records is what, Every all of this has brought you through uh, to with the art, the music, all your projects. Tell me a little bit about um, what Galaxy Diamond is and your vision behind it. Um, really, at this point, I mean, I have a a grander vision, but at this point, it's really just a a label that I put all the stuff I'm involved with under. You know, like I said, GalaxyDiamond.net. Like I just really wanted to because I have all this music I've created with various people and stuff and i really just wanted to put it all in one place really make it easy for people to find and explore that's the main thing like i uh on the website it's <laughs> it says the uh, stargazers directory and i really wanted it to make like a website where you kind of just go and explore like there's not a lot of words or anything on the website it's really just like artwork and you can kind of just flip through things and if you see a piece of artwork you think is cool click it and there's music to go with it so it's kind of just like gazing into the sky and like Hmm. trying to pick out something that, you know, that your eye catches basically. And that's all it is. That's so that was my main intent behind that. But, um, overall I would love to eventually someday really turn it into a record label, (laughs) you know, like really like run it as a legit business once it kind of picks up steam. So. 
Awesome. No, I, I support that. And how about this? If you could um, grab anybody from past or present, you can name a few people if it's easier, and have them signed on your label, who would you want to ultimately be part of Galaxy Diamond and who do you think would be a good fit as well? That's a really good question. <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, you can sign someone know. who's currently playing or um, go back in the past and bring them back. Right. And are we talking about like the grand spectrum of people or kind of like on a local level, just anyone? Um, just anyone. It would be great to bring someone in local, but uh, they yeah. don't have to be local. You could maybe choose a local guy and then choose someone. Uh, let's do local. Let's do past. And let's <laughs> do uh, future slash, you know, present. Well, I would say uh, in the past, as long as we're talking about the grand spectrum, I would say <laughs> like Aphex Twin. I love Aphex Twin. And obviously he's just kind of like an electronic god. I mean, mm-hmm. so, I mean, I, I, as far as what I do being like more electronic and stuff, like that's, that's the stuff that I'm kind of gearing it towards. So I, I, I couldn't think of anyone. It's obviously unrealistic in like way because he's just massive now but i would say he would be the ideal that sort of thing is the ideal person to bring on from the past um as far as present and again i'm just thinking of like the type of music that i'm trying to do which is a lot of like the live electronic kind of more psychedelic like proggy jam stuff um on a local level i would say roots collider um because it's just right in the same vein of you know, all the other music, it really fits in. So I would say presently on a local level, Roots Collider. Um, and in the future, well, that's, a, that's a tough one because who knows what will happen? <laughs> who knows what artists will emerge? You know, I don't know. Um, that's a, that's a, I guess I could say Roots Collider for both. But <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. That's, that's a tough one. The future is tough to tell. Roots Collider, where are you at? It's uh, they're back together, but they haven't dropped a new album yet. So maybe that is that's something to come. Yeah, I know. I know that they are recording some awesome. tracks or something. But as far as I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, you should. Roots Collider was hugely popular in the underground music scene in Rochester. It had to have been, uh, you know, between six to twelve years ago that they had a, a long run, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the most classic stuff that I remember is like double, like Roots Collider at Dublin Underground. That's mm-hmm. like the most classic Rochester throwdown I can, I can recall. You know what I mean? Like that was, that was like a golden age. I love Dublin Underground. It was incredible. One of my favorite venues of all time. Just because, it, I mean, it's, some people might not understand it, but if you've been there and you've been to a party in the basement, you just know why it was so great you know it might have smelled a little funny and been super dirty and all this stuff is is grungy which a lot of people if they hadn't really been there they're kind of surprised but the whole atmosphere you could just go there and do whatever you wanted just complete freedom um they had a sound was amazing it was just a it's just a cool spot as you know yeah thursday nights temple a temple uh dublin underground thursday nights um, was yeah. great, and I recall Roots Collider being basically packing the house, two stories, right. shoulder to shoulder, loud music, live music. Yeah, exactly. 
throwback in, in Rochester times. What are some of your current venues in Rochester in the region that you kind of have the most fun playing at? Well, um, and it's, uh, as far as like Rochester, I mean, obviously Flower City and Photo City, those are my top two favorite, but actually anthology i love anthology too i mean just like i love all three of those venues equally for different things but as far as what's the most fun to play at i or most satisfying to play at, i would actually have to say anthology because it's a bigger room right that's all it really is you know like it holds like 1100 people so you know if you're playing a show there it's gonna feel good like there's gonna be a lot of people there nice sound system big stages it's just it's a different experience is all like just because it's bigger you know, I've, like I've opened up for uh, the Crystal Method there twice, and those are both some of my favorite shows I've ever played. So for that reason, I would have to say Anthology. <laughs> big but, um, booming sound, large audience, absolutely. Yeah, and it's just like a big room, big warehouse, cool feeling. It's just a good vibe, you know. Let's um take it out of Rochester, out of all these places you've traveled to and play, whether it's a festival or a large venue. Um, any notable experiences that ultimately uh, they need to keep booking you for because you loved it there? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, a bunch. Um, one that pops into my mind immediately is King's Row Club in Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, Erie is kind of an odd market um, to, to go play in. Like it's, the scene is just, from my experience, is kind of wavering at the moment. Um, but the room, King's Row Club, is one of the coolest rooms I ever played. I, I, actually, I was talking about it before, like that show opening for Jim Cotta. That was King's Rook Club. And it's a club, so like you need to sign up to like be in the club to get in. Not that it's like anybody can do it. It's like 10 bucks for like a year membership, and you get into all these shows and stuff. But um, So it's, it's, an, actual, cool- it's an actual club, like not yeah. like a club, like yeah. party at the club, literally like a membership that you... Right. But it's kind of both, actually, now. Oh. Like, I don't know what it is. It's been around since the 80s, apparently. And so I don't know what it, it was. It was like a chess club or something. But now it's like a club club where they have, like, you know, like there, there's two levels. Upstairs, there's um, – they have, like, a bus in there that you can, like, sit in and, like, obviously, like, a bar. Then they have, like, I think, like, 10 pool tables on, like, the back of the stage that you can just play pool at for free. Awesome. You know what I mean? And then, and then like the stage has like the light up dance floor, like the disco kind of like feel from the, it's, they obviously haven't changed a thing about it. <laughs> it's totally like some weird entity from the past, which is what I love about it. And then the, the downstairs is like a big room with a raised stage and it's like a tiki bar and there's, it's like all like lit with black lights and stuff. It's just a, it's a, it's just like a, a funky, cool place to kind of hang out and play. Um, so I love that spot. And, uh, yeah, that, that immediately comes to mind. But besides that, I don't even really know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. A lot of stuff pops into my head, but there's just a lot of cool spots. That, that place kind of yeah. stands out just for the reason that it's so eclectic and different, you know. So. Any, any disaster experiences, time when you sh- times when you showed up and uh, you were playing on a stall? in a restroom or something crazy, obviously not that, but anytime <laughs> you showed up to a venue and um, it was not what you expected at all. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I would say that's happened to me most in New York city. 
just because I there's so many clubs and stuff, and I've never lived there or anything. I'm not too familiar with it. So, but any, I mean, anytime I have like an opportunity to go play in New York City, I'm going to go and do it just because it's, it's fun either way. But a lot of those times, um, you don't really know the situation. You don't really know what you're getting into, you know, so that's definitely happened. <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't even mind, though, really. Like, I, I, it's kind of the fun of it for me. Just, like, even if it's, like, a weird situation, just navigating it and trying to figure out how to make the best of it or how to play to that particular room, it's kind of the fun. Of it. Like, I, I like spontaneous stuff like that, so. Yeah. So the spontaneity, spontaneity doesn't throw you off too bad. Um, before a show, do you have rituals? Do you have a routine? Or are you pretty much just good to show up and figure it out? Um, I don't really have a routine. Um, I kind of just go up and do it. I don't know. Um, the main ritual, I guess, would, would just be thinking about what I'm about to do, setting my intentions writing the set list, stuff like that. Um, and then I get a glass of tequila and I go play some music. It's <laughs> That's the only ritual I have, really. Awesome. When when it comes to setting a, a, a set list, do you have a science behind it? Um, obviously, every band probably operates a little differently, but yeah. do you have any formula that creates a good set list? Or is it pretty much just what everybody's uh, feeling like jamming on today? Um, Yeah, definitely, like you said, varies between projects. Um, With Ocular Panther, actually, Gilly, he pretty much writes the set list. He used to write the set list, but now we've kind of transitioned over to like a more like electronic sort of thing. And Mikey, the other guitar player in the band, who is incredible, by the way, actually, he might be one of my favorite guitar players ever. He's incredible. really happy to make music and play with him. Um, he started, I, I kind of started doing the stereo nest thing and uh, throwing those different sounds and it, it was exciting and fun. And uh, we, we lost a drummer. We used to just have a regular drummer. Um, so in the meantime, we were like, Oh, let's get, let's buy a drum machine. So we bought a drum machine and stuff. And so for a while I was like triggering the drums and everything. And then that we kind of, figured out that it doesn't really work for every scenario and that we really should have a drummer to kind of push the material that much further. Mm -hmm. Um, So we met Tristan Green, who was also incredible. um, And he became our drummer, but so we combined the two. So like he plays to a drum machine and uh, anyway, Mikey, he got, he started to get really into it and now he controls the drum machine and he bought a Dave Smith Tempest, which is like a synth, arpeggiator crazy just it does all this crazy stuff and he's just started diving into this thing making incredible stuff just he's, he's just a complete madman honestly which i love and he's always just making stuff and so now that he's kind of taking the rein on that he he, he just calls off the songs as he's feeling it when we're playing so fracular panther at this point it's pretty much in his it, it's yeah. all up to him, you know um but then, yeah, hey, while we, we, we like to sit, sit together and we just kind of, we all have to agree on it, basically. But we'll just throw things out. Like, you know, something we'll do is just basically go one by, one by one. So, like, I might be like, all right, let's open with this. And, like, Ben and Ben will be like, let's play this. 
like, what do you think? And if we agree, okay, Marco, like, so we just go one, you know, we just go around basically, but we, we are really honest with each other. Like if we don't want to play or we think, ah, it doesn't feel right. You know, we'll like tell each other, like, ah, I don't know if that should be second or third. I don't know. Um, hmm. And it's like, okay, okay. And then how about this one? Ah, yeah. So we always unanimously agree on it in the end. Um, but we just try and we, we try and make it so everyone feels good about what they're about to do. And, you know, so that's really all that goes into that. And then as far as um, Stereo Nest, it's, I, I pretty much just wing it <laughs> most of the time. But um, something I've been doing lately because I have the tracks and I have um, the improv. So I have, like, tracks I produce that I, like, play live and, like, manipulate and play my guitar with and stuff. And then I have the stuff that is completely com- built from scratch, um, essentially. Like, I have sounds and stuff, but I'm making the track from scratch. Um, the beat and, you know, the bass line and everything. So since I have those, both of those elements, uh, something I've been doing lately is I've, I write out the songs I want to play, like the tracks. And then I think to myself, okay, what key is this? in, mm-hmm. Or what's the tempo? And I figure out how I can blend it in. I can blend like the, the improv into the track in a way. So it's like, all right, so if I have a song that I want to play, that's a 120 BPM, I'll write to myself on the set list before that, like key of a, maybe the songs in a or something that transitions to or from a like to e or something you know and i'll write 120 bpm so i know that in this jam i need to kind of like get to the tempo Mm -hmm. and then as it's as i'm fading it out i trigger the track so like stuff like that so i've been trying to do that a lot more lately just make it more seamless and you know but half the honestly i don't always do that that's just if i'm really like (laughs) <laughs> yeah feeling writing something down for the day <laughs> most of the time i just go and i play what i feel so. <laughs> wing it yeah obviously the goal is to make it cohesive and seamless but you don't want to let go of that organic let's just play whatever we feel like today and let it come out naturally yeah exactly so even though i'll, I'll like uh write some of that stuff on the set list like i don't always like stick to it it's just good to have, you know, a guideline of kind of where I want to go. Um, but if something starts going off course, that is a really cool idea or something that, like we were talking about earlier, that I, an aha moment, something I never expected to start coming out of these machines as I'm manipulating them and stuff, then I will absolutely stick with that. I'll, you know, I'm a huge fan of those moments. So, I mean, that's, that's the goal. I would never, <laughs> then at, at that point, I just ride that out and figure out, however I need to, to get to the next part, mm-hmm. however it may be. <laughs> awesome. Cause it was worth it either way. Maybe the transition isn't smooth coming out into the next song, but it was worth it because the, the, the improv that came out of it was such an incredible moment. So it's kind of like a give and take. Like I might've lost the, the smoothness of a transition, but I gained a whole segment of the show that I just loved. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, or maybe the audience was loved. Mm-hmm. And you just got to keep writing it out just to, you know, if you, if you read the room and people are enjoying it, you just got to keep going. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't want it to be rigid. Um, and you said, read the room. What is your experience with audiences? Do you try to tailor make everything based on how the room's going? Um, have you, do you like song requests? Um, do you like loud audiences? 
Um, what's your experience on stage with the audience? Are you pretty much massively not affected by them? Is, is their reaction important? Uh, tell me a little bit about different experiences with that. Yeah, it's definitely, it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of a little bit in between, a little bit of both. I mean, I, I, I really do try and play to the room, you know, like I really do. If I, if I'm, like I was saying, if I feeling like the audience is loving a certain thing, I'll keep going on it. Or maybe I'll craft a, maybe we'll craft a set list to a particular place we're playing and the type of stuff they like, or maybe we're opening for a certain band. And so we know that their crowd is going to like a certain part of what we do better than the other. So we'll craft it like that. Sure. Um, but at the same time, I don't think we, we don't get too caught up. I, I don't know. We don't get too caught up in it because once you start, I mean, you try your best to, to please people and do what might work, what will work best. Um, but you try not to overthink it because you're never going to please everybody. Right. And that's just a completely down downward spiral if you start like really picking apart too much you know that's just gonna drive you crazy because you're never gonna please everybody <laughs> so it's 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 both it's a little bit of both yeah try, but, try and find a, a happy medium between those two worlds right and if you please yourself and if it's music that you guys like and it speaks to you generally the rule is it's going to speak to someone else as well and if they don't like it screw them <laughs> I say yeah, that. No exactly. no, exactly. I mean, as an artist in general, I think that you just kind of have to do what makes you happy. And it's, and you do it under the belief that you're going to, you might not please everyone, but if you, if you like it, there's gotta be other people who like it as well, mm-hmm. who are like your people. You know what I mean? Like, so that's, that's, that's all you can really go off. Of. Just do what makes you feel good and try and find your people. That's it. Absolutely. And it's a big world. I know personally, the coronavirus is opening my eyes to the power of technology. I'm seeing plenty of podcasts going, you know, virtual. I'm seeing live streams, the Rochester live stream music festival virtual with 30 something plus musicians playing from the Rochester area. Um, I'm seeing bands releasing music. um, kind of slow release, releasing a track a week, this and that, all sorts of things and utilizing technology. Um, how have you utilized the internet, be it in these crazy times recently or in general? Have you you know, met people from England or here or there through your music? And uh, what role has technology and the internet played in your career? Well, I will, I will say that... Uh probably not enough i mean i've never really been into that and still honestly this whole thing has been really cool because you know i've always had like my websites and put up videos and like i've had things out there floating around but i was never really taking advantage of it the way i really should have been because it is such an amazing tool and it's pretty much the name of the game in like the current landscape especially now but even before all the coronavirus stuff like it's kind of the name of the game. It's not how it used to be, which is something I've noticed. Like, you always think, oh, yeah, like, all these bands I like, how did they get popular? They went out and they toured town to town, and they just made fans. That was a lot easier before the internet because people used to just go out to clubs and stuff, and you could be booked at a club, and you'll play for people regardless, and you'll make, you're, like, guaranteed to make 
fans, basically. Mm. Whereas now, it's kind of the flip scenario where you need to bring the fans. Otherwise, people aren't going to go. You know, like it's, it's not like you're, you get to play for rooms of people and make fans. You need to bring the fans. So when you're touring, and it, it's, it's an uphill battle these days, I think. I mean, you can still do it, and there's ways around it. But I think the internet and taking advantage of that, it's like really the way to go. I think so. That's that's one thing that I've really uh, been enlightened to in this whole epidemic <laughs> is that uh, I really should be digging into this stuff more. And uh, it's actually been really cool because I've really had the time to do that. Um, I've never I never did a live stream before, not once, but I've been doing weekly live streams now that have uh, been really fun. And I and you know picking up some steam and stuff. Um, so for one, I figured that whole thing out, which was really cool and I really enjoy. Um, and now I kind of have the time also to build my YouTube channel and just everything and just really getting it all working together in a cohesive manner that really works to get it out, which like, like I said, I always had stuff up before, but it really wasn't, I wasn't really, I didn't really know what I was doing. I still don't really know what I'm doing, but at least I'm trying <laughs> more now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've realized how important it is. So that's all you can do. <laughs> hey, I feel the same way, brother. I feel like we all sometimes feel like chickens with our head cut off, not sure what direction to run into, but um at, le- <laughs> at least at least you're running, at least you're trying. I mean, it sounds like with stereo nest and all your music, the number one step is just getting out there and just doing it and just trying something different. And obviously it sticks, you know, it, it's, uh, I think we should listen to another stereo nest song. Um, take a short break to do that. Um, what, what do you have in mind? Um, I don't know. Um, well, I guess, okay. So I guess something I should talk about is, uh, on top of doing the weekly streams, by the way, I'm doing a stream this Friday, 10 o'clock on my page. Um, that's pretty much the time I try and do with the mat every week. It changes sometimes, but um, <laughs> another shameless plug. But um, I'm also doing, so every Friday I try and do a stream at 10 o'clock. And every Monday I release a brand new track. Um, with all this time, I've been each week uh, producing and creating brand new music. And every Monday I also do the artwork. Um, so every Monday wow. I release fully mastered, completed pieces of music. Um, so that's actually, I just released a song today. Um, so I guess we could listen to one of those. <laughs> this is week four of it. Um, mm-hmm. wow. Do you have uh, let's, Grips of Growth? Um, yeah, Grips of Growth. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and something different about this song too, I guess I should note, is that <laughs> this this song is a complete departure from anything I've ever done. I've never released anything like this before. Like it kind of has like a spoken word sort of thing to it, um, which I never thought I would put in any of my music, but it was one of these things that just kind of came together in my mind. Um, so I decided to do it. Um, but uh, yeah, I actually wrote the lyrics. Um, I had the lyrics that I had written before any of this stuff happened on coronavirus stuff. And uh, I started creating the music and I put it to the music. And after all this kind of started happening, I listened back to it and I was completely surprised by the words and that the meaning they took on in the context of the current situation. Um, 
So I don't know. It's it's just different. I, I guess I just felt like I should preface it with yeah something just because it's not typically what you would hear from Stereo Nest. Um, I would do it again. Um, I have a couple songs like that that, that are these ones that I released recently. Um, but it's a new thing for me. So. <laughs> No, I'm excited. I'm going to hear it for the first time myself as we all are here. I'm going to pop on Grips of Growth. We'll talk a little bit more afterwards about the song and uh, about how people can follow you and what's going on in the future. But I do want to plug, you know, this is being recorded live on Zoom uh, for the people that hear the are on the call now they get to hear it before anyone we're going to have a listening party with some new tracks after this uh so all these episodes i encourage you to come on the zoom call get the full experience uh but if you're hearing this you still get to hear this you're one of the first people uh, to check out grips of growth one of colin's uh new tracks with stereo nest
awesome. That was fun, Colin. <laughs> Thank you. And that was Grips of Growth, um, newly released Stereo Nest weekly project. Your when did you say they come out? Mondays. Monday. Yep, every Monday. And when's the live stream? Uh, every Friday at ten o'clock. Friday at ten. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, no, that that was awesome. I like the change of pace. It, I'm not an expert, but it kind of reminds me of a little bit crystal methody kind of stuff. Um, oh yeah, I mean, growing. I love I love that stuff. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of obviously crystal method, but in general, certain music from the '90s I just love. Mm-hmm. I think it's I love that whole era of electronic music, hence you know Apex Twin stuff like that. And so yeah, I love I love the '90s. Soul Coughing is one of my favorite bands. Morphine, I just they're not like electronic per se, but mm-hmm. not that it matters, but I just love that era. Like there's so much good music that came out in the nineties. It's ridiculous. Oh, it's, it's good stuff. I love it. And, um, in terms of yep. what is in store, you've got the new music coming out all the time. You've got the live streams. Are you able to practice with your bands or is that pretty much at a standstill? Uh, unfortunately it's at a standstill for the moment, which, yeah. which is rough. It sucks. I, I really wish we could still get together and play. Um, I mean, it's possible that we might still do something, but, uh, at this point we're all kind of just working on our own stuff, practicing, uh, planning for the future and stuff like that. Um, the only person I've really played music with has been Tristan Green, um, because Tristan has been playing drums with me on some stereo nest stuff. So um, for the future, I guess the main thing to expect is that I will, I will add live drums to my show, um, depending on you know the situation or if I can get someone to hop in and play with me, um, depending on the date. But I'm definitely um, looking forward to adding like a live drummer to the to the show. So it should be pretty cool. Good stuff. Good stuff. So I want to talk about the future in a moment, but going back on the past, do you, do you have any super proud moments, any pivotal, pivotal parts of your career, anything you're most proud of? <laughs> uh, man, uh, I, I think what I'm most proud of is just <laughs> the fact that I haven't given up. <laughs> Not that, I don't know. I mean, Cause I, like you were saying before, I mean, I, I really think half the battle is just don't stop just don't stop. Like you're going to, you're going to fail. You'll have triumphs. You're going to embarrass yourself in front of large groups of people as I have done many times. Uh, I mean, it it comes with ups and downs, but the main thing is don't stop. I think that's so I'm, I'm proud that I haven't given up. (laughs) And uh, as far as just, that's, that's the most main thing, but I've really, uh, I've really played some, got to play with like a lot of cool people. Um, I guess one, thing that i'm really proud of is uh, i did a a 90s tribute with rob copper from dopapod hmm. um we we did we did like a little mini tour in like the northeast uh it was him and i um richard james who is the keyboard player for pink talking fish and jake boynton who is the bass player for wobble sauce um so we kind of created this thing together uh which was really cool for me um yeah i've always been friends with rob and stuff and you know both of them but it was really cool to actually get to put something together and go play music with them. I mean, I had a blast. It was, it was a lot of fun and just a really cool experience all around. So hope to do it again. I think we might try and do it again sometime if, if this ever, we, we were talking about doing it, but then it, 
kind of just everything just went nuts, but <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> hey man, never give up. It's great advice. The the collabs will continue. Um, it'll keep going. It, and it's it's been a long time coming. If you could go back 10 years and aside from, you know, stay strong, don't give up, give younger Colin some advice that would, you know, make it a little bit easier of a process going forward. Is there anything you'd tell yourself? <laughs> Damn, that is a good question. Uh, I'm sure there's something. I'm sure there's something. I think there's definitely things I could think of to tell myself, but at the same time, when I really think about it, I feel like this couldn't happen any other way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so like, even though there's, you know, been ups and downs and stuff, um, you know, I'm proud of the music I've made and where, where I foresee this going still. So I, and when I really think about it, I don't think there's any other way that things could have really unfolded that would still get me to this point, which I'm satisfied with, you know, but, um, I don't know. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. It's all I guess, coming to, yeah. It's yeah. All I guess coming the, together, brother. It, it is, it is. That's the thing. Like, so you can't really beat yourself up about it. I mean, there's things I regret, I guess, you know, and I would tell myself in the past, Hey, uh, in this situation, don't do that or dodge this little thing, which I might've made it easier or might've, everything is so sensitive. You know, it might've thrown me on a whole other course. Who knows? So I have to get too uh, (laughs) existential, but Uh, (laughs) it can't happen any other way. What's, What's unfolded had to unfold the way it did. Uh, it's all meant to be when I really think about it, you know, for better, or for worse. So, Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm all about getting existential. It, it's <laughs> obvious that you aren't rigid in your craft. You are an artist and you're looking to build something that is organic and unique and has a voice of its own. Um, so everybody check Colin out and his projects at galaxydiamond.net. What are some other locations that uh, sh- people should go to find you and uh, keep up to date with everything? Um, well, since I've been doing a lot of like streaming and releasing tracks, uh, I've been doing a lot of stereo nest stuff lately, and I plan to do a lot more too, but especially right now, it's really easy to just kind of focus and do that. So, I mean, uh, a lot of that stuff pops up on my Facebook page. So find stereo nest on Facebook. Um, just because it's, I've been really active with it lately. Um, but other than that, I mean, really all, all of my projects uh, find their Facebook page because they're, they're always very active. But um, StereoNest.com, mm-hmm. HeyWildMusic.net, those are the two other websites I currently have. Um, so that's it. Check it out. I'm on pretty much every social media except for Twitter. So, <laughs> not on Twitter, but fair enough. You know, get in touch with Colin Stereo Nest, Ocular Panther, Hewa. Send him a DM. Um, you respond. Uh, ultimately, don't be afraid to hit him up. I'm sure you're looking to book for the near future, uh, without <laughs> yeah, a doubt. So. <laughs> as soon as that comes back, um, we're about to have a listening party. Check out www.rochestergroovecast.com or Rochester Groovecast on Facebook for information on these podcasts where you can be here live and you can be part of 
some of the stuff that you don't get to hear on the podcast. I've got one last question that I ask all my guests, Colin. So I'd okay. like to ask you if you were to have the opportunity to have a billboard, very busy road, many, many cars of all people, white, black, every different kind of person, all ages, young, old, male, female, everybody gets to see this billboard. What would you put on that billboard, whether it's a word, a sentence, a paragraph, um, and why would you put that on your billboard? Could be music-related, doesn't have to, but if you could get that message out to the world. Uh, I think the main thing is, even as you know, what we've been talking about, keep going. <laughs> I think that's what I'd say. Just keep going. It's simple. You know, don't don't sweat the small stuff. Just keep going. That's it. There you go. That's that's, that's kind of something I tell myself and try and live by. So <laughs> I guess I would want to tell somebody else that as well. I love it. Don't sweat the small stuff. Keep going. And uh we'll keep it moving. We're gonna close out here with one more stereo nest track, a cannibal tooth. Any quick words on this before we let it roll? Oh uh, yeah, so this this track, um, it's very similar to the last one where it's a complete departure. Um, these are uh, this track and the last track we listened to, "Grips of Growth." They are part of the series I'm doing track a week, um, and it kind of features the same kind of thing um, lyrically. It's very similar where it was one of these things where I had these lyrics that I essentially wrote as a poem. Um, that as I was making this song became oddly relevant again. Uh, like as I'm listening to it, I just started relating it to so many different things. So it's, um, it's kind of like the sister song to grips of growth. Like they kind of, they kind of go together because they, they have very uh, specific or similar subject matter, um, which I didn't even realize because a lot of the stuff I do is complete stream of consciousness. Like a lot of this stuff just kind of comes out which then I'm always surprised listening later how relevant things become in like for like my own life and the way things change. Like, Oh wow. Like how did that even come out of me? Like, I, cause, cause I literally almost always write words without thinking about anything. I just put words together that sound good. So um, that's it. That's it. Yeah. It's the kind of in the same vein as the last track. So good stuff. Good stuff. Again, Colin Jones, galaxydiamond.net. Thank you for jumping on the show. And let's listen to Cannibal Tooth by Stereo Nest.
uncovered till the only thing you ever really did with the knees. Human me was the only retreat, shouting out to your master as you're facing defeat. Realize that the lies had you petrified, always in the skies, and you thought that it was justified. again for listening to the show you heard it here first keep in touch with colin jones galaxy diamond records stereo nest Hewa, ocular panther everything that he's doing and check out www.rochestergroovecast.com rochester groovecast on facebook ben albert rock groove on instagram so on and so forth listen to us on itunes or any podcast app uh, new shows every 8 a.m monday and thursday so i will hear from you soon